It was absolutely brilliant. I've got to say, it was very lively. It was full blast. Oh, and it would go like a homesick angel. Welcome to the Avro Heritage Museum podcast. The museum is located near Manchester in the UK and you can find more details at avroheritagemuseum.co.uk. This episode is with Richard Jones, a former VC-10 pilot who recalls his path into the Royal Air Force in the 1960s via a pleasure flight company at Manchester's Ringway Airport. Richard shares the story of his RAF career via the de Havilland Chipmunk, BAC Jet Provost and onto transport aircraft such as the Vickers Valletta, Blackburn Beverly, de Havilland Comet and onto the Vickers VC-10, his favourite aircraft. Make sure you follow us in your podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on future episodes. I'm delighted to welcome Richard Jones. I'm trusting at the museum. I have a particular sort of role towards human resources, HR issues, uh, some health and safety issues as well, because that was a little bit my background before I came here. What I wanted to get on to was your RAF career. Oh, my goodness. Right. So uh, <laughs> um, my, the first question I had is, is, why did you join the RAF? How did that happen? Oh, I've always been interested in aeroplanes. Simple as that. If I'm being a very small child, uh, always found me. I was born in 1943, so the war was on. And uh, I remember as a sort of two-year-old, I think, in my mother's arms, watching aeroplanes flying over our house. And I uh, lived out at Bowden, just the side of Altingham then. And uh, I've always grown up with an interest in aeroplanes and uh, engineering in general. So it just seemed natural. And I, I went, uh, I started really with a flying thing. I started back in, oh crikey, about 1958 I think it'd be, uh, with a, a f- pleasure flying company at the airport called Airviews Limited, run by a real character by the name of Bruce Martin. He hobbled around on one and a half legs, you know, but he flew this aeroplane carrying passengers around. He'd never get away with it today. And he had this old Oster, and uh, a group of us lads uh, used to help him get it out of the hangar on a Sunday morning, touch, uh, prime the engine, check the oil, and uh, check the tyres, because his landings were more of a, you might term, arrivals. You arrived... It usually involved a few bounces and a few bumps, so he used to get through tyres. So uh, we uh, used to sort of, well, what we used to do was change change wheels, change spark plugs. I mean, you never get away with it now. Uh, unlicensed kids, basically, doing all this. And we did it when we did it okay, I have to say. And one occasion, uh, he did the usual type arrival on the main runway. And uh, the aircraft was stuck. He burst a tyre. Aircraft was stuck on the runway, which amused air traffic no end. I bet. Yeah, on a Sunday, you know. I mean, the aircraft were only fairly slow then. They weren't uh, the jets at that time, apart from stuff from here. Mm. Balkans used to use it quite often. Anyway, so we hopped on a scooter, which one of our colleagues had, spare wheel on the back, holding it on like grim death, holding the spare wheel, shot across, the, I mean, imagine it nowadays, shot across the field to, to the side of runway 24, and uh, yours truly, being the taller, had my back under the, uh, the strut, 
holding the wheel on. And I had to try and stand up a bit. And the other guy would be there with changing the wheel and then stand back, swing the prop again. But no electric starter. Swing the prop and he would taxi in and we were coming on the scooter. Wow. And then phone up our traffic because they were clear now. Yeah. Had, he, had he lost his legs during the war? Yeah, it was an accident during the war. He lost one, half of one leg concerning a mosquito and an alp, so I believe. He was a great guy. He really was. Yeah. He introduced me to the delights of uh, the ship in, amongst, amongst others. I've been teetotal until then. But, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> Led you astray. <laughs> Led me astray. And it's been a long, long story, really. And it's still continuing, as far as I know. <laughs> and and how, what age were you when you signed up to the RAF? Oh, uh, well, it was a bit of a long, fiddly story. That I, I went to I applied about 17 when I first applied. And got knocked back because I had a, a complaint with my nose at the time, polyps in the nose. So I went into industry and I was really sort of disjuffed. And I'd, I had a rather stormy meeting with the recruitment officer at Cosford, RF Cosford. And uh, so I thought, oh, blow it. So I went into industry, which was a mistake really, but hot headed. I was very hot headed then. So anyway, I, I went through that apprenticeship and then. I went back, thought I'll reapply now. I've had these various operations on my nose. And amazingly enough, I passed. So uh, I was about 22, I think. Yes, about 22 when I did that. And uh, so I went, went down to, uh, went down to Halton, first of all, and then got uh, posted to various outstations after that. Went through my sort of trade training, and uh, the opportunity came up some some years later to transfer to aircrew. So uh, they don't do it now, but then they did. You do, now you have to have a university education. I didn't have a university education. But anyway, uh, I hadn't let that stop me, to be honest. I've got qualifications and I took college and done college courses, courses etc. So anyway, I put in for uh, flying, flying aircrew duties and uh, I was lucky enough to be selected. So, went on the initial sort of uh, training on the the old chipmunks and things. I'd done chipmunks in the ATC, so beforehand. So uh, I was quite happy with the chipmunk. I must say it was a beautiful aeroplane. I must say, really nice. It was better upside down than the right way up, but uh, and still flying right the way through to the end of the Cold War as well. It was, yeah. Well, yes, yeah. I think there's, I think the BBMF has still got a couple. Yeah. I think they have one of the Berlin ones, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, it's a historical one, that. Yeah, so they've still got it. Uh, Such a a superb little machine, really. Very difficult to replace. So uh, went through that. I went on the entire I got onto the JP, Jet Provost, after that. And uh, But I was sort of... Well, I was a little bit tall. I was taller than I am now, actually. And... uh, it was also inferred too that I wouldn't really cut the mustard single seaters, and it wasn't really my interest. Anyway. I wanted the big stuff, so uh, I was streamed for via the the Valettas and Varsities at the time to uh, multi-engine. I went through the multi-engine route, ended up being posted to Lynham. And so, what types did you fly to to then train on those multi-engine types? No, you you follow it. You did a lot of the training on the uh, on the Valletta, or Vickers Valletta, which is basically a civil ver- um, military version of the Viking. 
and uh, did some time on the varsity, which is interesting. Very prone to engine failures, certainly prone to leaking oil. And uh, then I got a chance to uh, Beverly. I got transferred to the Beverly uh, fleet, which was entertaining. Because they travelled quite a lot as well. You know, because you're still in the old sort of, well, we still had a bit of an empire then. You're sort of flying down the, the African routes and this very slowly, very ponderously. But apart from losing a lot of oil, very reliably. A reliable old aeroplane, really. So what locations did you end up? In, oh, in, in the, on those yeah. all, all around the world, by all, the sound ra- of all it. around it, yeah, yes, yeah, so you went all over the place: Selatar, Singapore, uh, Akateria, Australia, Gan. So uh, Hong Kong on a few occasions. So flying to Australia, yeah. what aircraft did you end fly? Oh to no, the, the Australia trips weren't in Beverly. So they, they were in the. Uh, well, I went on to the Britannia fleet and uh, did some time on the Britannia. I was a second officer, so you know. And a very junior second officer at that, and uh, but that was that was that was worthwhile. It was it was a lovely thing. That was lovely airplane to fly, and uh, did very little in the way of landing them or taking off on them. The captains of the time were very sort of uh, possessive, shall we say? <laughs> so, so I didn't get much experience really on those from the point of view of landing or takeoff. The other the other occasion you were actually as a human autopilot flying it, which but, seems a little uh, bit sort of. Um short-sighted in terms of, you know, because you were the support, if the captain was incapacitated, oh, yes, you were right. the guy who was going to land it. You are going to land it, exactly, yes, yes. I mean, some are better than others, I have to say. Yeah. And it's something I bore in mind a few years later myself when I uh, went, uh, went went to captain. Uh, I bought, I'd always tried to bear that one in mind, that, uh, yeah. you know, give the guys as much experience as you possibly can, and, yeah. uh, which is what I did. Anyway, uh, coming back to that, we went, then I did a little bit on the uh, the Comet, delightful aeroplane, the Comet 4, Seamount 4, that was a beaut, really nice bit of kit. And then uh, I managed to wangle it, because I, I, lo- I love the look of the aeroplane, and being interested in aircraft and engineering, you know, it wasn't just a sort of bus driver job, I, I liked what I was doing, so I thought the VC-10 looks so, so wonderfully attractive, I thought. Got to go for that. And it, it seemed to have a lot of power and a lot of uh, personality and everything. So, and, and, of course, the jobs it was doing was quite attractive at the time. You know, you're doing a range of sort of from trooping to VIP to uh, Kazavak, this is medical evacuation. So uh, I got onto that. got onto it with 10 Squadron at Bryce. So I went across there. And again, as a junior sort of first officer, and uh, that's where the bulk of my time was spent on the on the, on the aircraft on the VC10 uh, through a number of roles. You know, we were doing, as I say, the VIP stuff and the uh, trooping. Yeah, and uh, did the uh, well. One of the things that stands in my mind, we did some of the evacuation, medical medical evacuation from the Falklands. Right, and. Uh, and for Ascension Island, that sort of thing. And then later on, we were able to fly into Stanley when they got the uh, runway sorted. <clears throat> but uh, that was always very worthwhile, obviously. Very worthwhile, I was. And uh, I always found the aeroplane a completely delightful thing to fly. You know, it was, you hardly needed an autopilot. It was so good. I mean, I had a go once in a 707 uh, to a friend of mine. 
slightly illegally, but I managed to have a go in the 7-0. And that was sort of yawing about the sky. You had to sort of really, you had your dampers on it, but they were only limited mm. success. Aerodynamically, it wasn't a patch on the VC-10. Because the VC-10 was designed for relatively short runways as well, yeah, wasn't right. it? Yeah, that's right, it was. It was. It was The VC-10 was compromised a little bit when it first came out because it was designed around specific BOAC requirements at the time, which was the, the Empire route down through Africa, mainly. And as you say, shorter runways, you needed a lot of power, you needed a bigger wing uh, than you'd otherwise have. So obviously that extra wing area is extra weight, extra drag. So when the plane first came out, it didn't meet the drag requirements at all. And funnily enough, one of the members here, Joyce Mason, her husband was the one who worked on the, the so-called beaver tail between the two engines on the VC-10. You've got this sort of scalloped thing comes out like a sort of thin area between the two engine exhausts. And they, he designed that to cut down on the drag losses. And originally it wasn't fitted that and the drag losses were quite high. And it did actually largely resolve that problem. So it gave it its anticipated uh, drag reduction, which of course held the range. And it was quite popular with passengers, I understand, because it it was quite quiet. The cabin Mm. was quieter than a lot of jets of that period. it was. It was. Unless you were sat right at the back, where it could be quite noisy from the air intakes. But uh, apart from that, it was quiet, comfortable, and very smooth. Because you've got a clean wing, which uh, was extremely aerodynamically very efficient. And it gave you a very smooth ride. But the problem with it was... As I say, it was tied around to a particular airline's requirements. So other airlines didn't necessarily want that. They wanted uh, a trade-off for the, the sort of short runway capability. To, okay, we can use longer runways, but do transatlantic. Mm-hmm. And so Vickers did actually bring out the stretched uh, Super VC-10, which had the extended wing and uh, operated engines and the uh, extended fuselage, about 20 feet extension which served the North, North Atlantic equally as well. It was really, really, very popular on that run, very popular. Uh, for the reasons you mentioned, it was very quiet in the cabin. And then the RAF got interested in about 1960, well, when it first came out, about 1964, they got interested and put an order in in 65 for 14 of what they call the Mark one And that was a hybrid aircraft, which is, that was, that's one of them. I was outside. Uh, it was a hybrid. Basically, you've got the standard fuselage uh, with the, the Super's tail, but the Super VC-10's tail had a fuel tank in the fin. It had that, and it had the operated engines of the Super VC-10, the slightly bigger wing, but the shorter fuselage. So, of course, it went like the proverbial. And uh, the only mo- other modification, really, was the uh, cargo door in the side, the big door on the side of the fuselage on the port side. And... Uh, I think that was the extent of the mon- oh, a reinforced floor, reinforced uh, freight floor. Apart from that, it was pretty much as for the civilian version. Because the, the military version, the seating arrangement was ah, backwards, wasn't it? Correct, yes. The theory at the time was that seats are safer facing backwards. So you always face, in railway parlance, you always face back to the engine. The idea being that it's supposedly safer. Uh, whether it is or not, I don't think it was ever actually proved, but 
that was the, that was the <laughs> that was the requirement. Yeah. So they were railroad facing seats, whether you liked it or not. But uh, most people were only too glad to get on it. So a session of, over over in Singapore yeah. or somewhere, you know, they were only too glad to get on it. I think I read somewhere that the VC10 holds the record for the fastest Atlantic crossing subsonic. Yes. Uh, so next like to the, five hours or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. It, it was next to the Concorde. It was, it was the quickest. What was the fuel consumption like? Was that not great? Not great. Right. So that was another sort of yeah. commercial issue with uh, other airlines. Well, yes, with other airlines. Yeah, I mean, the, it, wasn't, it was no worse than the, uh, uh, the 707 using the same engines as Rolls-Royce Conway. It was no worse, actually. And it was faster. But... You know, by the standards, it was a heavy. It was heavier, so therefore, use more power and takeoff. That's something. So yeah, overall, it was slightly thirstier. Overall, yeah. Uh, the I have to say though, I mean, from a from my perspective, it was absolutely brilliant. Because particularly the the C Mark One, you've got the you've got like a hot run. It really was a pokey aeroplane. You know, you never use full power. In common with a lot of them, you, you didn't use full power. You use about ninety five percent. Power, as a, as a most, you could take off a slightly less, depending on the uh, obviously on the humidity of the day, the runway you're on, mm. the weight you're carrying. All these issues affect the uh, performance for takeoff. And uh, I've got to say, it was very lively. And you did it light. I, mean, I did a couple of air shows. I was able to claim a couple of air shows. One of which is on here, at Big and Hill. And that was a hoot that was, because you used full power. There was no messing around with noise abatement or anything like that. You used full blast. Oh, and it would go like a homesick angel. It was yeah. superb. But it was a marvellous aeroplane in that sense. And very manoeuvrable. And uh, from the point of view of uh, landings away from base, you know, away down the line sort of thing, uh, it was good from the point of view crosswinds. Crosswind tolerance was very good. Would land it fairly straightforwardly, as long as you didn't drop a wing too far. It wasn't bad at all. It was good. In fact, I always reckon that if you couldn't pull off a decent landing with a VC-10, you shouldn't really be in that seat. <laughs> so it was so good. It was just, wow. you know, just really coming to ground effect and just yeah. grease it down. It was, it was good. Much nicer than the 707. And, w- I mean, obviously being a military aircraft, there's mm. a a chance of it being under attack. Was there mm. any defensive measures or was it just speed? Or what, what, were you, what speed, would you do? Speed, maneuverability. You had, uh, well, when you were flying into a, a war zone, now I'm, I'm fortunate, I, I didn't. I had sort of, apart from the Falklands, the nearest I got. And even then it was mostly ascension. But uh, they did have uh, sort of uh, detectors mounted on the tail, which would give you warning of any incoming. Uh, hostile threat. But, uh, other than that, no. There was no armament fitted or anything like that. In fact, on that one, again, there's uh, the evidence still of armour plating on the cockpit, the sides of the cockpit, yeah, right. because obviously uh, there was a, there was a, an incident, somebody coming into Kandahar in a uh, C-130, and somebody got killed by small arms fire. You're on approach to land. Yeah. So you're, inevitably you've got to fly low, and somebody got killed, so they put they did put some armor plating on. Yeah. I mean, looking at it, you wouldn't think it would uh, do any good. Looking at what they put there, but the Kevlar panels. But apparently, it was effective. 
Yeah. So, but I never had to actually put that to the test. <laughs> and, and with your your training with the RAF, did you have any escape and evasion training or anything like that? Yeah, the 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 one that comes to mind actually is the one where you go into an old helicopter and you're dunked in the water, and the thing turns upside down, and you've got to find your way out, which is quite that doesn't sound very pleasant. No, it's not very pleasant actually. I must admit, it's uh, certainly wouldn't suit if you've got claustrophobia or something like that. But uh, that's the one that really comes to mind. Did that two or three times. You had to do that for, uh, well, it's routine, ongoing line training. Did do that. But uh, didn't do any uh, ejection seats or anything like that. No, no. no sort of. Because obviously the VC-10 no, didn't, yeah, no, didn't, you know, you, you either ditched it and yeah, you got went out down or with it, that yeah. was it. Yeah, you went down with it, basically. Yeah. 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 Which, <laughs> with that aeroplane, I mean, we had the odd bird strike, which is unusual. We did have the odd bird strike where you lost an engine. Uh, but again, the aeroplane had so much power. It was able to handle that very, very successfully, really. You could take off on three from a standing start. You could take off on three engines. And, uh, that was practice on the simulator more than reality, but it was quite straightforward. On the, on the VC-10, you had le- leading edge slats that worked in conjunction with the flaps on the back of the wing. Uh, you got an engine failure. You disconnect the, the, you got a little lever you pull out. So you can still bring the flaps up as normal after takeoff, but you leave the slats out. Those leading edge slats would give you the, the greater lift at the, keep the airflow over the wing at a slightly altered angle of attack with one engine failing. You know, that, that really was a bit of an non-event, really. It didn't actually, uh, it would bite at, I believe it would bite if you, well, I did practice it in the simulator. If you pull the slats in too early, then you get into this deep stall configuration. And no matter how many engines you got running, you were finished. You were going down like that. Mm. So uh, there was sort of stress that. That's how you, you, you always leave the slats out until the required speed has been reached. Because if you pull them in too early, and the Trident suffered from the same thing. In yeah. fact, there was a crash on the Trident uh, at Staines, some, some in the 70s, I think it was. Because of that, pulled the slats into the slats in too early. I just went into a deep stall, and that's it. Killed everybody on it. So it sounds like the VC10 is absolutely your favourite aircraft. Oh, absolutely! Oh, totally! Yeah, absolutely. And when you sit in the cockpit of the one here, that must feel like coming home. Oh, it does. Because I've flown that one. You've flown that one yeah, as well. That particular one, yes, yes. Oh, that, oh, that. yes. Yes, it's quite spooky in a way. Yeah, it's spooky in a way. Yes, yes, I do. It's, it's good. I mean, I'd left, I'd left there in 87, just about the time they were starting to convert them to tankers. And it's about the time I left the Air Force. And, uh, you know, it had been all the, oh, 30, 38 years, something like that. I've forgotten a lot of it, to be honest. Because I didn't go into flying. Like a lot of people went into the airlines. Mm. I didn't. Unlike my colleague here, Tucker, another trustee. He went from the Flying Vulcans and went into the airlines, BOAC and BA as it was. I, I didn't do that. I, I wanted more family time, to be honest, and uh, time at home with the family. So I just went back into, because I had worked at Ferranti when I went into the Air Force. So I went back to Ferranti. They were very good like that, you know. I went back to Ferranti and worked there. Well, they went bankrupt, but I managed to... Uh, Duck and dive. Nothing and, to do with you, obviously. Oh, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> I keep stum on that one. So, no, I don't think so. One, one of the things I wanted to ask you was that during your RAF career, 
What was the hairiest situation you were involved in? Oh, goodness. I suppose the time on Britannia. You can't say it was a VC-10. That was drama-free pretty well. But I suppose Britannia, when we had an undercarriage fault and we couldn't get one set of wheels down. Starboard wheels wouldn't uh, lock down. And that was a bit entertaining because, obviously, uh, unlike a jet, you've got propellers. So we had visions of striking the propellers on the runway or something. And uh, we could not get, despite some fairly sharp manoeuvring, we couldn't get to Zacatera in Cyprus as well. We couldn't actually get the wheel down, the wheels down, mm. I should say, on that side. So uh, we flew around, flew around over the sea to uh, burn off some fuel. And uh, fortunately, we hadn't got too much to burn off. And then we came in for a sort of two-wheel landing, which was a bit interesting. And uh, the aircraft sort of, we landed very, very, you know, really short at the end of the runway touch. And kept it, kept the wing up, kept the, put the starboard wing up and just sort of kept it until the speed started to fall away. And then it sort of fell down, then a bang, 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 some propellers at the ground, something, and it started slowing round. Then the undercarriage collapsed on the other side. So, <laughs> as it slewed round like so, it collapsed the undercarriage on the other side. So, yes, we wrote the aeroplane off, but uh, we got away with it. The aircraft, the, the tail broke off. But, uh, and how quickly did you manage to get out of the... Oh, we were out of the aircraft within... Well, it was full of troops, actually. I mean, they were out within 90 seconds. Wow. Oh, yeah. That was the standard evacuation time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, they, they were out. You've done they it were by out. the book and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, oh, I. Yes. Oh, we had a few beers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had a few beers on that. I bet yeah. you did. But that was the only... Well, I did have a bird strike on, on a VC-10 once, but that was a bit of a non-event. Uh, we lost an engine, mm. and so we were able to sort of... Well, actually, we, we flew. We went on a fairly short detail anyway, so we carried on, on three. And with the aforementioned slats still out, of course, because we were on three engines rather than in all the four, and uh, pulled off a three-engine landing, which was a complete non-event. There was no particular drama about it, particularly mm. as the weather was good. The weather was good, so uh, we were landing at Gown on that time. And uh, the most entertaining approach, really, was Hong Kong. The old Kai Tech. That was a good one. With all the high buildings. Mm, that's right. You're flying through the buildings, you know. And uh, on the VC-10, it was relatively straightforward to do that. You know, once you'd practised it and practised it on the simulator, it was relatively straightforward. I wouldn't have fancied it in a 747, but uh, no, on the, on the VC-10, it was quite cool. Because you had to roll it out just before pop- popping the wheels down on the runway touch. Right. So it was a bit, it was you sort of coming around like that, you know, and landing it. But uh, it's good, it's good. You have to be careful on the ten. Well, like a lot of aircraft, you have to be careful. You get the wing too low, you strike the runway with it. Yeah, because it's quite and, a wingspan. Oh yeah, it's it, quite it? yeah. And it was it was accentuated when the when they modified the aircraft for flight refueling. Uh, some of the C ones were modified to be uh, two point tankers. This one was one. And uh, this was toward the tail end of my time in the RAF. And these two Mark 32 pods, as I call them, under, you know, one under each wing, you had to watch it from the clearance point of view. Because if you dropped the wing too much, it was <laughs> you know, make an expensive noise, and you wouldn't be popular. So, no. You know, no. a lot of questions to answer. So, More but, than just the paintwork. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes. <laughs> it's bad enough if you the paintwork. So, did, did you ever fly into Berlin, into Gatow? Yes, yes. 
What was that yeah. like? Because it was obviously a much lower altitude because of the air corridor. That's right, you were flying on the air corridor, yeah. I never had any particular dramas on that, but uh, I do know of people who have had uh, escorts from uh, very unfriendly uh, fighters. Yeah, you know, with red nations, stars with on red wings. stars on, yes. I've never worked out where they came from. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, but I can't really say I had any drama myself yeah. doing that, but you have to be very careful. Yeah, very precise. Good. And Gatow's was a ex Luftwaffe right. base, I think. It was, and it was yeah. right on the edge, yeah. the the almost the perimeter fence was yeah. the border with East Germany. That's right. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, you have to be very careful, very prim and proper. Everything you did. Is there anything else we've missed, or any great anecdotes that you've got that uh, we've not covered? I'm not sure a- you must have a, a set of anecdotes that you <laughs> you roll out at your. Well, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> Don't forget, I haven't done this for years. No, as regards anecdotes, I suppose some of the people that I've met Mm. on the flights, on the flights I did, uh, well, the Queen comes to mind, uh, and the Duke. He was always very hands-on, as you can imagine. Up on the flight deck. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You didn't argue with him. (laughs) Not you'd want to, actually. He was a delightful bloke. He really was a delightful fellow. He really was. And... uh, Oh, he was very good. He had a, he had a, a touch, he had a feel, mm. he had a touch for it, no question. He was good. Uh, and he was good at his sort of what-if question. What if, what if I pull this lever? What would it do now? You know? <laughs> well, sir, if you don't mind, <laughs> I'd rather yeah. he didn't touch that one. So, But uh, things like that. But no, he was, he was very knowledgeable and uh, he was very good, a bit forceful. But mm. then that was okay. Were well, you introduced to the Queen as well? Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I had to go back into the cabin. Yeah. And uh, you introduced, yes, ma'am, you know, yes. But that was all really, it was, yeah. wasn't really in-depth conversation. I had a more in-depth conversations with certain politicians on some of the flights, Maggie Thatcher. She was quite interesting. And what, what did you yeah. talk about with her? Oh, Falkland. Yeah, no, it was. It was just after all that, right? Okay, yeah, so she was 83. on the crest of. Oh, the... she was on the crest. She was yeah. in about eighty-three. Uh, yeah, basically late late eighty-three it was, and uh, yeah, I had her, and she was uh, she was very interesting coming out from Washington, Washington D.C., and uh, she was very interesting, very interesting. Enjoyed talking to her, and uh, what else did we have? Oh, we had a prime minister whose name I like to forget. Uh, he was elected in 1997. Anyway, I won't go there. But I had him. Yeah. had him as well, yeah. Who, I actually have to say, despite all my thoughts, he was very pleasant. Yeah. I had no argument with him at all. He was very pleasant. Uh, man to man. Mm. Very polite. Very easygoing. So, uh, yeah, I've had a few people like that. Um, I don't think there's... You see, I'm not very good at anecdotes, I have to say. Not very good. You're doing pretty well at the moment. I've picked up some great ones here. You know, landings minus, you know, a bit of undercarriage. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Undercarriage is always, that was always a bit entertaining. That was, wasn't it? Yes. Well, Richard, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And hearing your, your, your stories. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Thanks very much for listening.